Well, as I've been thinking about this week and this sermon this week, several weeks ago, in an unrelated sermon, I, I heard that this illustration, and it really it just stuck with me. And I was like, "This is something I've got to share with our people." And and even this illustration, I had it in different places in my sermon. It was here. I moved it over there, and I was like, "Man, I just need to start out with it." And it's just something to have in our back of our minds as we, we think through this passage and we think through this morning where we remember that Christ is risen. And the story is of this. In Japan, apparently there's this ancient art of taking broken pottery. Uh, when pottery is broken, instead of just throwing it out, they'll take it to an artisan who will use precious metals to put that bowl back together. Um, they might use gold, they might use silver and different things to put that t- together. And one of the stories of, of how that came about, as I studied it a little bit more, there's all sorts of different ideas about how this art, um, which is called kintsuki, which I'm pronouncing incorrectly for you this morning, but that is what it's called. Um, but that it, in the past, in ancient times, it began, this is one of the stories, from a tradition, well, one of the things that in Japanese culture, they have a, a culture around tea. If you go to different cultures, they have different, different traditions and things around food or around drink or different things, and they have one around tea. When we went to Ethiopia, they have this huge tea, um, coffee ceremony. I prefer, I prefer coffee ceremony over a tea ceremony, but, but that wasn't the illustration. So, so Japan, they have a tea ceremony, and they have a traditional uh, tea bowl where they would mix the tea, the matcha, together before making the tea. And though that bowl would be passed down from generation to generation. Um, but what do you do if you break that bowl? you got to put it back together. And after the artisan is done with this bowl, it's actually more valuable before it, before it was broken. So they take it, they put it together, and they make art and beauty out of it and put value to this bowl. And as we think today... We think about Jesus Christ who has risen, who has taken us and take us as we are broken in our sin and in need of salvation, and he brings us together, forgives us, gives us new life, and we have great value, more value than before because of what Christ has done. And just kind of keep that in your back, at the back of your mind as we think through this and think through this passage of 1 Corinthians 15, which is a great passage to come to probably across this world. The churches are coming, and we look at this passage often. And as we begin, one thing we see at the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15 is we see the gospel. And the question can be even, what is the gospel? And there's different ways of kind of breaking up the good news of Jesus. And one of those ways is to look at the character of God, looking at the nature of mankind, looking at the person and the work of Christ and then looking at our response. So we begin, we see in here that we see a focus. First, we know what is the character of God. And the audience, as, as Paul wrote this to the church at Corinth, they would have understood who God is. They would have understood that God is a holy God. He's the creator of all things. A God who is ruler over all things. And from eternity past has been God the Father with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And he is other. He is holy. He is separate. He is without sin. I just knocked my mic off. Sorry about that. 
So what happens when I tuck my shirt in and I wear khakis is uh, my mic, my mic's like, who am I on? What's going on here? So anyway, sorry about that. So, um, so God is holy. He's full of loving kindness, full of mercy, is slow to anger. He is good and he is also just. He's a good, just God who must judge sin. And, and they knew the character of God. And then we have Paul write, and we're going to read in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. So we see him speak about sins, our sins. When you think about the character or the nature of mankind is that we are sinners, we need a Savior. What is sin? This is one definition. This is from the New City Catechism. And this is a catechism from a church where they put, use different, different catechisms through the years and kind of put them together into one that can be used as individuals or as families. And a catechism, you have questions and then you have answers. Like things like, what is sin? And then you have an answer to that. And if you want to track that down, we've used it off and on with our kids until we, we get... Um, we get kind of in a rut, and we're like, ah, that's, that's not working anymore. I have to do something else. But every so often, we've done this new catechism, and you can find it online. And there's several apps that the, the, the church has put together. Anyway, sin. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created. Rebelling against him by living without reference to him. Not being or doing what he requires in his law. Resulting in our death. That death, that's that eternal separation from God for all eternity and the um, disintegration of all creation. So a brokenness comes in when we rebel against God's ways and against his word and against his law. And, and Jesus, when he was asked, what is the, the greatest commandment? What did he say? To love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So we can sum them up by loving God and loving others. And we can't even do that fully in one day. Just think if those we love the most are the ones we often hurt the most. We, don't need, we can't even love them well. We need Jesus. So sin, so Christ died for sin. And then what about the person and the work of Christ? In this verse again, Christ died. According to the scriptures, he died for us. He died for our sin. And the question sometimes we might say, um, have you been saved? Or when did you get saved? Or have you been saved? Or Jesus is the Savior of the world. And the question needs to be, well, saved from what? What, what were we saved from? And we see that we are saved. And the answer is that we're saved from our sin. Christ died for us. So we've rebelled from him. And as a just judge, he will judge sin justly. And we need forgiveness. We need salvation from our sin and the judgment that would come about because of it. And because of Christ, that punishment is dealt with fully as he died for us. And in Colossians 2, 13 through 14, Paul addresses that. He says, and you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Christ, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, forgiven us all of our sin by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside and nailed it to the cross. So our judgment has been nailed to the cross. Christ died for sins. And then, verse 4 and 5, we see more about Christ, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that would be Peter, Apostle Peter, then 
to the twelve. So we see that Jesus, then he was buried. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. Not even his, buried in a tomb. But it doesn't stop there. Jesus wasn't just a dead man who was put in a tomb. He wasn't just a dead Messiah. There's lots of people who have died for great causes. and We might call them heroes, but Jesus did more than that. He died, but then he rose again to new life. And that's what we celebrate today. He, he, he indeed, he is risen. And last Friday, so Friday, or this past Friday, on Good Friday, a lot of us here gathered together, and we remembered that Christ died on the cross. And at the end of that service, a lot of times with that Good, good Friday service, you stop at the death of Christ. And I said then, and I'll say every time, every year, the story's not over, because we're looking to Sunday. So he's buried, that's not the end of the story, but that he, he has risen from the grave and he is alive. He is risen. So we see that. And then another part of the gospel is our response. How do we respond to that? And we see that as well in this passage. The response of those that Paul is writing to. Go back to verse 1 and 2 in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you. So... Paul, he's a reminder. We need to be reminded. That's why we gather. That's why we come weekly together. That's why we go to God's word all the time because we need to be reminded. So he said, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. So he says to them, I preach, I proclaimed, I've heralded the good news to you. You've heard it, and you've received it, he said. So they receive it. They believe these truths. They've received them. And to believe on Christ is to see that I am a sinner. I need Jesus. And to turn from our sins and place our faith in Jesus Christ. There's repentance and faith. They've received Jesus Christ. And they stand in him. They're being saved, and they're holding fast. These all point to this continued going to the gospel. We never move on. We never move past. We never get to just put it to the side. We need the gospel every day. And we just grow deeper in that understanding of the gospel. Standing in the truths of the gospel to guide us, to lead us, to direct us. And we hold fast to those things. It's not just maybe on some Sundays a pastor said, hey, pray this prayer. And you're like, well, that sounds like a good thing to do. And you do it and then just move on with life. It was just kind of just a, a thing you did. You didn't never trusted in Jesus Christ. But there's a call of true repentance, true faith in Jesus, and fruit that is born from that. So true faith in Christ and a changed life. In Paul, or see uh, a little later on when we look at verses 8 through 10, but we see Paul himself, he understands that radical change. When Christ came to him, his life was radically and utterly changed. It impacted him. He didn't just read a prayer on the back of a card and then just live his life the same way. Because he met Jesus. He could do nothing but follow after Jesus. So the gospel, uh, the character of God, the, the nature of mankind, the person and work of Jesus Christ, and then our response, and then... Paul goes on to really emphasize the resurrection. 
He wants them to understand, apparently during that time in, in the church, that there was some confusion about the resurrection. And he wants to make clear, there were probably there were those people who were denying that people would rise from the dead, that there would be new life when Christ returned. And he wants to make clear that indeed there will be, and indeed Christ is risen. And we're reminded again, today is Resurrection Sunday. It's no longer Good Friday. And I don't think I shared this Good Friday, but often I do that in Chinese, the name for Good Friday is Shonanjia, which means receiving suffering, our suffering hardship festival. It's no longer suffering hardship festival today because Christ is risen. And if he was still in the grave, uh, we would not be here today. Why would we be here? The church would have crumbled and died. The disciples would not have spread the good news because they would have had no good news to share. But they did. And we are here today. So in this passage 12 through 20, I'm going to read it. And there we could spend probably two weeks in this passage. So this is a really quick overview of this passage. I encourage you to spend some time in it. Let me read though. Verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testify about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who, are, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life alone, we are of all people most to be pitied. Put, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So this long passage is pointing to the necessity of Christ who has risen from the dead and saying that he, indeed, he has risen from the grave. He did not stay, he did not stay in the grave. Because without the resurrection, there is no gospel. And he says here then, we're, we're still stuck in sin. We have no answer. We have no hope. We have no forgiveness of sin. And if Christ hasn't raised, we're, man, we're, we are most to be pitied. And you think of Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at the account of Christ and his death. And we looked at the gospel of Luke. And in Luke and in the other gospels, Christ repeatedly says, that In Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. But then I am going to rise again from the grave. And the reality is, if Christ didn't rise from the grave, then Christ is a liar. He's just a finite sinner just like us. Nothing different. As C.S. Lewis wrote and famously wrote, Christ is either a liar or a lunatic or is truly Lord. And we know that he has risen. Now this is a quote from Timothy Keller, who is a theologian and a pastor. And I've heard him referred to as a Christian Yoda because he's just really smart. You kind of have to think, what did he just say? Anyway, um, so this is what he wrote in his book, The Reason of God. If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he did not rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? 
The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teachings, but whether or not he rose from the, from the, from the dead. So that's the deal. It's not about if you like him or not or like his teaching. Did he rise or did he not? If he didn't rise, then let's all go home right now. I think back to a conversation I had with um, a friend and, uh, and my boss, actually, and we had this long conversation about the gospel. He's not a follower of Christ. And I just remember at the end of that long conversation, he said, well, for your sake, I hope you're right. And you know, when I think back to that, he, he's right. That's what Paul said. He said, if not, we are most to be pitied. But the thing is, I know that Jesus has given me hope. He has given me life. And I've seen it in the lives of other people that he's radically changed and given them hope. That they've been like that broken pot put together and been given great value. And we know that he is risen. And even here, even in this passage, we're not left without evidence. In verse 3, even, he begins and he said... That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So he's fulfilling scriptures of old. There are prophecies in the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus. And Jesus fulfilled them completely. I think of the speech, or not the speech, but the, the preaching of Peter in Acts 2. In Acts 2, after Christ is risen and the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the disciples. And they started to go out preaching about the risen Savior. He preached, and he preached from Psalm 16. So he looks to the Old Testament, to ancient words, and he points to how those ancient words were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And this is what he said, and it's written in Acts 2, 25 through 32. For David, speaking of King David, who wrote this psalm, King David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life, the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then Peter preaches, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up. And of that, we all are witnesses. So he's saying, hey, we've seen it. This is true. And think of, on Good Friday, we read from Isaiah 53, prophecies that were 700 plus years before Jesus. And Jesus fulfills them completely in his death for our sins. And then in this passage, again, there's accounts of eyewitnesses to say, hey, these people saw Jesus. Let's read some of those. Verse 5 again. And Jesus, he, he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, the apostle. Then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. So we have 
these accounts of the disciples who saw Jesus. And remember, at the death of Jesus, Peter even denied Jesus three times. Then they all fled from him. And then they hid in rooms behind locked doors because of their fear. And then Christ appears to them and everything changes. They go from cowering behind locked doors to those who obediently went out and throughout their lives till their death received punishment and beatings and imprisonment and execution even for their continued preaching of Jesus Christ because they couldn't do it. They'd been radically changed. They'd seen the risen Savior and they continued to speak about him. This is a quote I've shared before several years ago from Lee Strobel. If you know anything about Lee, he was an atheist and he was a law-trained journalist at the Chicago Times. And he went to investigate the resurrection of Jesus to disprove it. But he came, came away being a believer of Christ. And he writes a lot of apologetic books and different things. And he wrote this. He said, in this time of investigation of the, the resurrection of Jesus, he said, I went to a psychologist friend and said, if 500 people claimed to see Jesus after he died, it was a hallucination. He said, then the, the psychologist, he said, hallucinations are an individual event. If 500 people have the same hallucination, that's a bigger miracle than the resurrection. And I, I just love that quote. And this, uh, this is another one from, from Tim Keller. And he's actually, it's an article from 2021 in Christianity Today. And he's quoting N.T. Wright, another theologian. And he says, N.T. Wright explains that the resurrection of Christ of Christ's presence... Okay, let me start over. N.T. Wright explains that the resurrection of Christ presents evidence that demands explanation from historians and scientists. It can't be simply dismissed. He writes, insofar as I understand scientific method, when someone turns up that... When something turns up that doesn't fit the paradigm, your, your understanding... Oh, I'm sorry. I keep missing my place. Let me try this all over. Okay? Insofar as I understand scientific method, when something turns up that doesn't fit the paradigm, you're working with one, one option, is to change that paradigm. We are not to exclude the evidence just because our paradigm can't account for it, but we are to include it with a new paradigm, a larger whole. Then he says, a failure to provide a historically plausible alternative explanation for the eyewitness accounts and the revolutionary overnight worldview change of thousands of Jews is not being more scientific, it's being less so. So he's saying, hey, there are all of these thousands of these Jews, life radically changed, an explanation has to be given. And we see that that is that Christ, indeed, he is risen. And we see unlikely witnesses even. We talked about that on Good Friday. The women were there, and Mark records that the women saw his death, and later they are the ones that foresee him risen. And during that time period, if you were wanting to create an account and put the most reliable people at the front end of a testimony of a risen Savior, you would, have picked, you would not have picked women to do that because in that time and in that day, they were not able to give even witness in court. This is from a second century Greek philosopher that said this, Christianity can't be true because the written accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of women. And we all know women are hysterical. No, I didn't say that. That was him. I'm not, I'm not saying that. 
But the, his, his, the point was that people looked at that like, nah, no way. So Mark, you know, he, if he's creating an account that wants to be most believable, he's not going to start with the accounts of women. And then we see changed lives. Paul speaks about his changed life, and he begins with that in verse 9. For I am the least of all the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And this grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. So we see Paul, his life was radically changed. He was one who persecuted the church. He sought to crush the gospel. He went into homes. He dragged out fathers and mothers to imprison them and have them executed. And he's on his way to Damascus, on the road to Damascus. And the light of Christ shines upon him and radically changes him. And he does a 180. And he is one through the rest of his life. He receives persecution. He receives beatings and imprisonment and death. There's no reason. He was in a place of of power in that culture. He was a religious leader. He was not, he was, people feared him. He didn't have fear. Yet Christ shined on him and he knew radically that that was the truth. And he had to follow Jesus Christ no matter what that meant. Even the disciples, when they heard that, that Paul had followed Christ, they're like, whoa, I don't, I don't know about that. I'm not going near him. He's probably going to get me. But Barab- or not Barabbas, but Barnabas, he willingly went and, went and sought out Paul. And he found, man, these things are true. He's a follower of Jesus Christ now. So we see life's change. I also think of the testimony of Sabina Worm, Wormbrandt. A few weeks ago, we, we watched here a video, a movie, a testimony of her life and and Sabina and her husband Richard Wormbrandt, they were um, Jewish Christians during World War II. And they were actually first Jewish atheists, actually, um, before they, they turned to Christ. But then Christ radically changed their life. And Sabina, she was first Richard turned and trusted Christ. And Sabina, she took a while to, to trust in Jesus Christ. But her life was, again, radically changed to the point where there's one really moving scene in that movie, which it's a true story of Sabina where she is in their home and Richard somehow he finds a man in their apartment complex who worked at the concentration camp that Sabina's family had been at. And her family, they were all killed. And he brings this man into their home and it's late at night and he begins talking with this man and and plays some songs and sings with him and and through all this, he just shared the good news of the gospel. And then he speaks about his wife who's sleeping in the other room. And just to show that the truth of the gospel, he said, when she comes in and she meets you, and even knowing that you were at the camp where her parents were killed, that you might be her, the, the, murderers, the murderer of her family, she will forgive you. She will embrace you. She will cook a meal for you. And that's exactly what she did. He wakes her up and says, hey. There's this man here from that, from that uh, concentration camp, and she hugs him and kisses him and f- feeds him. 
and he finds the gospel and forgiveness. And then in this room, I'm sure there's some of you who pushed hard against Jesus Christ, maybe even rejected, maybe even atheists. Uh, some of your stories I know, you pushed hard against Christ and you didn't believe. And Christ came in and radically changed you and now you follow him. We could give testimony today even. Evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So then how do we live in light of the gospel? Well, the first is, what are you going to do with the resurrection of Jesus? What are you going to do? Maybe you're at a place where you're still pushed against the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's calling you to trust and believe. Just like Paul where Jesus shone his light down upon you. Even may the Holy Spirit awaken your heart to the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, went to the cross, died the death of a criminal, and then rose again victorious from the grave. So this morning, an opportunity even just to turn and trust in him. And if you want to... Follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've met, never made that decision before, you know today's that day. Come talk with me or grab the card. Just say, hey, I want to talk more about what it means to follow Jesus. Or maybe this, this morning we just need to remember the hope that we have of eternity. That Jesus is risen and that is our hope. Um, in a little bit, Paul, he's going to read for us after we're done, after communion, a passage from 1 Corinthians 4, 13 through 18 that speaks about the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ. And we're just reminded of the hope that we have of eternity. We just need to be reminded of that even this morning. Also, we need to be prayerful and mindful that if we have the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, might we be willing to do what God calls us to do and be also thinking and open to share of the gospel with those around us and be praying uh, for open doors and praying for wisdom to see those open doors and then boldness to walk through them whatever God is, might be calling you to do to serve him. And might we remember even today, might we live out this week and this day, not as though Christ is still in the grave and that we look more like um, sour grapes than we do as followers of Jesus Christ, but be reminded that Christ is risen and may we find our hope in him today. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we, we thank you. For days like this, as even in this passage, Paul wrote to remind them, and we need to be reminded of the gospel. We need to be reminded of the hope that's in Jesus Christ alone. And we thank you for your word that stirs our heart and that your Holy Spirit continues to work in us and awaken us and open our eyes. And we thank you. We thank you for even that you did not leave Christ without witness, his resurrection without witness. But we see fulfilled prophecy. We see eyewitnesses. We see changed lives even today, even in this room because of what Christ has done, even in our lives, the hope that we have, that our hearts might be comforted even when we wrestle and we struggle. So Lord, we pray that you would um, guide and direct us. Lord, we pray that you would even open hearts this morning. We pray that even if there are those considering trusting in Jesus Christ, that you would prompt their heart even today, to turn from their sins and trust in you and believe, we pray. Lord, we thank you that you took us in our brokenness 
in our sin and our fallenness, our, our position far from you, that we were at one time without hope and without God. We were far from Christ and you brought us in. Lord, we thank you that you forgave us, that you poured your grace upon us through Jesus Christ and not just mended us and put us together like that picture of that, that teapot, but that you covered us completely with the grace and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that this morning. May we live in light of these truths, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, what a, a great morning to be able